feel that they really care for you or they're detached or they're not, you're not sensing that you connect with them or you feel that they really care about you, then it's time to move on to someone else because it's really important to have that loving connection, someone who really cares about you because it'll take some time to work through those issues to get you back to a good point from a emotional and spiritual health perspective. I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting, and I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document, and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you. Sign up for it because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free. And I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. Today, we get to speak with an amazing couple. And already we've had a great conversation before we started recording. So I can't wait to just include you in on our conversation. Michael and Katie have been the present co founders of Connection Culture Group. They were recognized as experts in, as a leadership team with organization culture and even employee engagement in many other different businesses. You know, together they've done different keynote speeches and lead workshops for some of the most amazing companies around the world. I think some of the most notable names that as an audience you will recognize is GE, Google, the Department of Treasury, Johnson & Johnson, and so many others. So today, I want to welcome you guys to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited you guys are here. Thank you, Thanks, Evan. Evan. Great to be with you. So for starters, just tell us what Connection Culture Group is and a little bit about your guys' selves. Sure. Okay. Well, it, um, it started about 17 years ago. I was working on Wall Street. I saw mergers were not working well after they closed because the two cultures were different. And that um, got me interested in, is there a best culture? And I decided to take some time off Wall Street and uh, do research. It led to writing a book for Thomas Nelson Publishers called Fired Up or Burned Out. And then just over time, Evan, over the last 17 years, we've seen uh, doors open for us to do work with the engineering section at the NASA Johnson Space Center. We were just doing work for the U.S. Air Force. Um, we're doing a lot of work in healthcare, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Yale New Haven Health System. And it's a really simple idea that um, there are three types of cultures, um, cultures that connect people, which is, are the best, and cultures that isolate people because they're cultures of control or cultures that are indifferent to people, which we call cultures of indifference. And what we do is we work with organizations to help leaders understand how to think about culture to provide them uh, frameworks and tools to cultivate connection among the people they lead. And it's becoming a, a huge issue because America and most countries around the world are going through an epidemic of loneliness right now. And it's um, 
Although our business historically has been focused on leaders who wanted to boost productivity and employee engagement and innovation and overall performance, in the last year, we've had four organizations, including one of the branches of the armed services, come to us because they're experiencing higher suicides. So that's kind of a surprising turn in our business where we're um, just seeing toxic uh, cultures have become so toxic in the workplace that um, people are struggling and in the most extreme cases, taking their own lives. We're, I so know. we're seeing that in last year, the organizations, I mentioned a branch of the armed services. We also did work for two healthcare organizations that have experienced some suicide. Well, most um, physician suicide is a big issue and physician burnout. So we're seeing that in healthcare. And then we had the largest school district in Utah had 10 student suicides and came to us. And what we're finding out is they learned from the centers of disease control that the best way to protect people from suicide ideation is to cultivate relationships and connection with family, friends, and community. And we would also say with the Lord as well. Um, and so that's one of the things we're doing now is I just wrote an article that is coming out in a number of media outlets this week about how connectedness reduces the risk of suicide. So speaking of that, do you think the more connected become globally through like social media and other things that actually makes us more susceptible to, to suicide? Well, I, Carnegie Mellon did some research that I often point people to when that question comes up. And I think they really uh, identified the issue. What they found was people who had good connections offline, Evan, you know, they, they had good connections maybe with family and friends. And when they went online using social media tools, they used them to stay connected with their friends and to facilitate maybe further connection, meeting somewhere or you know, things like that. They stayed connected. But when people who don't have good connections offline go online looking for connection, it actually does more harm. Uh, not always, but oftentimes they, do, they come away feeling even more isolated. And just that isolation can lead to you know, burnout. It really has a profound effect on our bodies. And, and like I said, in the most extreme cases, it can result in uh, moving people down a path towards suicide or even mass violence. If you notice, uh, the FBI says we have a mass shooting every two weeks now in the U.S. And the profile of the mass shooter is, well, they call it the, the FBI threat assessment professionals. They call it the path to violence. And... Um, what they find is that that path often includes someone who feels left out and isolated. So there's an aspect of loneliness there that's very painful and it creates anger where they strike back. In some cases, they, they turn that anger toward themselves and commit suicide or they turn it to those who they perceive have slighted them and um, they commit these acts of mass violence. Throughout our conversation, either one of you can, can answer. So if I don't direct a question, just, okay, feel free. You can take any answer you want. So totally fine. And I, uh, Mike is, is, uh, so steeped in, in this conversation and has an amazing breadth of knowledge and statistics that he has in his head that, uh, 
I like to listen to Mike and I absolutely will throw some things in when, when I, occasionally I will. And, and Katie is such a great leave. natural connector. So we really compliment On other other topics, it would be like, all right, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Today, it's Mike. That's awesome. You know, there, there was a period of my life much, much younger. I'd say from 13 to 16, I was suicidal. Mm. And a lot of that stemmed out of being bullied. Yes. And... Uh, isolation, not mm-hmm. feeling like I had a, a group of people I could connect with. So as you're sharing these statistics that absolutely, like I, I get it, you know, I hadn't been there long, long ago. Um, I remember those feelings of, of isolation and pain before God brought a group of people into my life. Mm-hmm. So I get mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, gra- I'm glad you brought that up, Evan, because you, what you said is a very important point, and that is oftentimes there is some level of trauma that's happened through maybe abuse or neglect in their childhood, bullying. Um, in our society, the predominant form of trauma is through, uh, through sexual, um, you know, something that's happened to someone sexually. And, but even some trauma like a car accident can uh, have an effect on the brain and if depression sets in, then those who are depressed, it's harder for them to reach out, to connect with others. Actually, their inclination is to withdraw. So, to, so it's important for us to be intentional about reaching out and connecting people. I had a friend last year who committed suicide. And the last time I saw him before he heard he committed suicide, he smiled and waved at me. And I, when I first heard that he had committed suicide, I did a double take. I just thought it had to be a mistake. It, it, that couldn't be. But we're good as humans masking our emotional pain. And because uh, those who are suicidal often do have depression, it's harder for them to reach out and connect with others. So it's really important for us, for the people we love, for um, our friends, and if you're in a leadership position or your colleagues at work, reaching out and being intentional to connect with them, because you never know, little acts of kindness um, that bring positive emotion can really have an effect. I think the people who give up hope are the ones who feel that nobody cares. And so it's really critical for us to be intentional about that. And as Christians, right. it's, it's so consistent with what Jesus taught. So what advice would you give someone who is feeling isolated, who might be in depression, whether they are or are not yet suicidal, I don't know, reaching burnout and work, what would be good steps towards healing and recovery? Well, it's um, Christian counselors. You know, I would, I would advise them to uh, find a uh, a Christian counselor who they could just share because it's important to really get back into their life and try to understand what's happened. You know, if they've experienced some traumas only by sharing that with a individual who cares about them, um, who can help them talk through it is only, only that's what provides healing. And what happens, you know, there's so many aspects of this. Um, one thing is just when you look at the brain science of it, um, our bodies, when we're traumatized and we're lonely, we're at a higher risk of 
going into a state of stress response. And that's usually triggered in part by um, when we feel threatened because of our broader environment. And if, you, if someone's been traumatized, they're much more likely to be hypervigilant or feeling threatened, even by things that are not really threatening. So their brain is misperceiving things in the environment as threatening. Like someone may look at them the wrong way. It almost may be an accidental stare, but they'll view it as menacing and their brain will view it as a threat. And that could trigger the body moving into stress response. And the, the brain activity moves from the part of the brain where we make rational decisions called the cortex, which is kind of the top layer of the brain, to the amygdala, which is part of the what's called the limbic system where we process emotions and threats. And um, when we engage in conversation, that kind of forces the brain to move back to the rational part of uh, brain activity, moves to the rational part of the brain. We're more likely to make a rational decision than to make a rash decision. And oftentimes suicide can be triggered by something where somebody is, has an emotional reaction and it, it can happen rather quickly at times. It can either be planned or it can happen very quickly. And so it's important for us to reach out and connect with someone, you know, uh, trusted friends, loved ones. Um, oftentimes you find someone who's suicidal doesn't feel that they have that. So it's important for them to really seek out and um, professional counseling can and does help. And it'll help just restore in them a vision for how to live in a way that um, isn't painful because they're experiencing this emotional pain inside that is constant. And um, it's, you know, they want to end it. And that's what it kind of pushes people over the edge to commit suicide. So reaching out to a counselor can really help them understand how to dial down that pain and, and um, live a life that is free from that pain over time. So the key word there and what you were saying, you said Christian counselor. I, I feel like I picked up on that. Um, and I have my own theories. The worldview of a Christian counselor is far different than someone, say, who is not a Christian. And in terms of actual healing versus theorizing things personally, I would say that Christian counselors produce healing in the soul or can help healing in the soul versus just healing in the mind, which, which there's a big difference. Um, is that, was that your frame of reference from that? Well, it's, um, it's important to find somebody who does truly love their patients. And it's, it's that loving connection that is healing. And I think you're going to find that most often with a Christian counselor. You may find somebody who is advertising themselves as a Christian counselor. But if you as a patient don't feel that they really care for you or they're detached or they're not, you're not sensing that you connect with them or you feel that they really care about you, then it's time to move on to someone else because it's really important to have that loving connection, someone who really cares about you because it'll take some time to work through those issues to get you back to a good point from a emotional and spiritual health perspective. Right. I remember, so I'm going to share a story here and I don't know if this is for the audience or part of the conversation, but here we go. So I, I was bullied a lot. I was a Christian. I wasn't a Catholic. My, my community growing up was predominantly Catholic and 
from a young age, I wanted to be a pastor, which kind of always made me a little bit odd to other people. I was very outspoken about my faith. I got made fun of a lot for it. And when it came down to respect, I tended to to be a lot more respectful, obedient towards my teachers, which also made me a little bit more ostracized because I wasn't acting childish, um, which gave me favor, but then also created more separation between me and my peers, more ostracized being more ostracized and from 13 to 16 I can't remember how many times I tried to commit suicide it was a lot but it was always in ways that was more of a cry for help than actual going to end my life like tried to suffocate myself with a pillow uh, or stick my head in the bathtub and hold it there as long as I could Um, I never tried hanging myself with a belt but I tried choking myself with a belt and then I remember the last time I tried to commit suicide, I was about 16 and it's kind of unique that you say sometimes suicide can be illicit from an emotional response, which I think in this, and I didn't realize that, but in this scenario it was, there was something that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm debating whether or not to share it or not. I'll share it. I'll just, it might hurt whoever I, Anyway, um, so having gone through years of abuse, I had already been trying to do something to get attention to say I'm hurting because I didn't feel like I had the ability to come right out and say I was hurting. It would be more of a a shameful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was young. I didn't understand. So... I was trying to get caught, so to say, but on this time, I was 16, and the terminology, the straw that breaks the camel's back, I think when it plays into the emotional response, it comes down to the straw that finally just broke the camel's back, and whether you're going through something like this as as a listener or know someone, just be cognizant of that, because I remember... I did not feel valued as a person. I didn't feel like like my life mattered. I felt like I always brought hurt or pain or dysfunction everywhere I went that, that I truly believe this lie that people would be generally more happy with me gone. Mm. And I was in the kitchen and I learned something at school and I wanted to share it with my father. And it was that now I'm probably going to mix it up because I, it's been a long time ago. But it was like the 22nd president was also the 24th president or something around there because he, he had a term, then lost his second term, and then won re-election. And I don't remember which president it was, but I shared it. And, you know, my dad really got on to me for whatever reason about how that can't happen and I was wrong. And, and I was already feeling defeated probably before that. Mm-hmm. And so I just got to this point, well, if my dad can't believe me you know then why am I here like and so I remember I walked into my parents' room I was going to shoot myself on the side of the room where my father's bed was and this is where it starts to get fuzzy I've told the stories both ways I, I said I actually had the gun in hand um, it, it was a shotgun and I was going to pull the trigger with my big toe 
I don't remember authentically if I had the gun there or not, or if I just got to that far and I broke down. But I remember being on my father's side of the room, crying out to God saying, God, you never loved me. You never intervened. And this is why I'm doing it. Because my life, if you truly exist, if you truly loved me, then this wouldn't happen in my life. Hmm. So I'm just ending it because apparently I, I'm unlovable, which also caused many other habits in my life as well. And whether or not I had the gun, I, I really don't remember. But I remember this picture of seeing my mother having to clean up the mess afterwards, body gone, but floor stained, blood on the wall. It was a visual picture. And I felt God say, do you want your mother to clean that up? Mm. And it, it broke my heart sure. because that was the one person that unconditionally loved me, even though I made her angry and everything, but, but she was gentle she was kind. And it was that moment that broke my heart and I fell to the ground saying, God, I don't want my life. I can't do anything with it. And I was a Christian. I did believe in God. Mm -hmm. But he said at that point when I said, I don't want my life, I can't do anything with it. He said, good, give it to me because I can. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quite understand that because I I thought he was asking me for salvation, but I believed I was already saved. Mm -hmm. And then he just like, surrender your hurt, surrender your pain, walk through forgiveness. And so I started surrendering all these things. And then I told God this, God, you have to heal me of this right here, right now, because I cannot go through counseling or else it's only going to make other people find out and be bullied more. Mm -hmm. Um, Two things. One, don't ever do that. Like, <laughs> just get counseling, get help. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, because God knew I probably wouldn't go seek help myself, it was at that moment that the healing of suicide and the thoughts and the temptations and the pain, well, the pain was still there, but the thoughts and temptation weren't. Mm-hmm. Where he healed left. me of that. Yeah, it left. And that's just, I mean, that's all God. I didn't change my thinking. I didn't. I just realized that somehow, some way, God had a, a purpose and plan for my life. And mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure that out to this day and mm-hmm. everything. But I don't know why I shared that. Feel free to ask questions or interject, but I felt like I needed to share that at that point. I, you know, I think it's, it's very helpful for someone who's going through emotional pain to know that they're not alone Absolutely. and to hear other people's stories. Evan, you know, we, we don't know who's going to hear this recording but it could be they're struggling with pain in their lives. And, you know, Cigna just came out with a report, the insurance company that they surveyed um, and they've done this twice. Now the first survey was 20,000 people. The most recent was 10,000 people. And they found that close to two thirds of American adults are lonely. And that's, you know, when you're lonely, and stressed, that's when you're at risk of moving into a state of stress response. And your body is not designed by God to be in a constant state of stress response. You know, we have the stress response can help us fight or flee when we're truly threatened, but to be stuck in stress response because we're 
in a culture, or we've been traumatized, you know, a culture that's unhealthy, we can experience what's called um, complex um, trauma. And there's the pain that goes along with that, that often to manage the, uh, our emotions will turn to addictive substances or behaviors. And research shows that about half of Americans have one or more of 11 addictions that, um, you know, they have serious negative consequences to their health. So it's, um, we're, we're not alone. A lot of people are struggling with emotional pain. Now they can put on a happy face and, and mask it, mm-hmm. but um, we're created. You know, you, you look beginning in, in the Bible, you can go through the entire Bible and you see how we're created to connect. You know, it's part of the nature of the Trinity, the three who are so loving that they there's that connection between them. And when human beings were created, we see that it's not good for uh, humans to be alone. And you really see that theme throughout the Bible. One of my favorite passages is um, when Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. And it's one of the rare times where we hear one member of the Trinity praying to the other. And Jesus prays, you know, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us so that the world knows that you sent me and you love them as you love me. And so we hear Jesus really saying, here's what, here's what I'm praying for (laughs) father, you know, for this, um, for, um, people to be connected to the Trinity that produces, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, et cetera. So, um, we're hardwired to connect and yet many people are struggling today with loneliness. Um, and we also mentioned trauma can be a part of that picture. How, how does a person become more connected with, say, the Trinity, God, Jesus? Because there's also a lot of baggage where people view God in a specific way where they can't connect. How does a person go from one to the other? Well, I will jump, in, jump in and say, I know, here we go, that uh, I think some people feel they need to have themselves totally together before they can come to God. And, um, you know, as if they have to earn their way or they have to impress him in some way. Uh, But I think you have already touched on it in telling your story. It's when we come to God as who we are in that moment, (laughs) broken and, and, and imperfect and vulnerable and say, you know, help (laughs) father, Uh, and just speak to him as his beloved child. And that's, we are told we are his beloved child. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be perfect. God knows us thoroughly. So come as we are and uh, just surrender. I think that was an important word that you said. That moment of surrender when we're like, here I am, you know, help. Uh, You're in charge, Lord. Work with me, heal me. Yeah. And I've experienced that just in my own faith journey. There was, uh, you know, I think of my um, faith journey in in three chapters. The first is failure is not an option. You know, I I was um, driven to get away from my hometown and and move on. And part of it was, um, you know, family life was difficult with my parents. There was a lot of uh, anger and, um, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a connecting household culture. And so I, I wanted to get away and I knew that uh, academics and work was my ticket out. 
and um, I ended up on on Wall Street. I went. I got my MBA at night, my law degree at night, passed the bar exam. You know, I started burning out at a certain point in time, and I just started experiencing. I was losing energy and I needed more caffeine to get me going in the morning and exercise midday to uh, perk me up and alcohol at night to slow me down so I could sleep. And it just, the way addictions work is they're consuming. They, you know, it requires more time. If you stop, you experience withdrawal. And if you don't continue to up the dosage of activity or, you know, amount of um, whatever the substance is, that you're um, taking, then um, it you, it doesn't produce the same effect. And so you need more and more over time and it crowds out time for real connection in your life. So I didn't know that I needed connection. And that's part of why I have a passion for this because I think there are a lot of other people who don't know they need that connection. And um, so eventually I ended up <clears throat> leaving walking time to reconnect with my family and within the first year, roughly, Katie was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, then after that, advanced ovarian cancer. So, cancer. so there was a time when Katie's chance of survival was less than 10% because of the cancer she had. And our daughters were just 12 and 10. And I, I remember the second chapter of my life was um, reaching the end of me. And that came in the day Katie had surgery, when the surgeon told me that she did have ovarian cancer and it had spread, and I knew those statistics were not good. And I remember praying that night, you know, God heal Katie and help me to know how I can help her and, and the, our two daughters who were 12 and 10. Uh, I, for the first time in my life, I didn't know what to do. And I passed out praying that night. And that's when the next day is when God really started answering that prayer. We just found that um, family, friends, our community reached out in practical, with practical, emotional, and spiritual support and really helped us get through that time. And it was surprising to me, Evan, that even though um, it, was a, it was a scary time, it was a time that was rich in relationship and connection with the Lord, with our family and friends. And there was a sense of contentment and joy um, and also diminished anxiety about Katie's health. And let's see, now we've, how many years are we out from? Uh, 15. 15 years oh, we've celebrated. And uh, places where Katie was treated are now our clients. We're doing work training supervisors and how to cultivate a culture of connection in the workplace. So it's just been exciting to see how God has opened those doors. And um, that that last part of the journey, I think of as um, there's no way left but up together, which means um, really seeking the Lord in community and in connection has really been a, a joy for me, and that's part of what we share in our in our work. Katie, when you were going through all that, what was your emotional state your faith state like because i mean i see on the news all the time now people who have terminally ill diagnosis and then they find or go move to places that allow i don't know what it's called but self-termination um where there's a much kinder word for it but essentially that's what it is 
Um, what was it like going through, through all that? Right. So for me, cause I think Mike and I had different emotional reactions. Um, I, uh, stayed, um, optimistic. There were going to be tough days and there were, but I needed to get through to the end because there were people counting on me. Um, Mike, our girls, family, friends, you know, people in the community. And it was just too sad to think otherwise. So not going to write the script, you know, not going to let my mind wander down. Woe is me. And what will happen if this happens? Um, I just really put it in the Lord's hands. And I felt this peace descend upon me that just stayed. And I think for some people, it was a little surprising. And I think they read it as denial. But I really did feel uh, peace. And uh, that you, that I was going to rise to the challenge and get through the days that I needed to get through. And I remember one day, I finally let myself read some of the the statistics, which Mike had been doing, which my sister had been doing. She's a doctor. And so they knew the odds that I was up against, but I, I didn't want to look at that because we're apples and oranges. Uh, So it made the statistics might've been grim, but that wasn't going to be my story. My story was going to be a return to health. So the one day that I did, look at statistics, it was very sobering. And I, I knew then that I had to keep fighting and I had to keep going. And even though I was tired of chemotherapy, okay, I'll do the next round um, and get through to the other side. So I think that I stayed pretty upbeat. I mean, there were definitely days when the chemotherapy just absolutely wiped me out. I really couldn't do anything but lie in bed uh, but I, I realized that joy was coming, the light at the end of the tunnel. I was going to get to Friday, and then I was going to get to Sunday, and we'd be back in church with everyone, and then the next week, chemo would come again. So, um, But we had tremendous support, as Mike is saying, amazing support from friends and family. One of my cancer, I've had three, um, one of those we had meals coming in from friends for like six months. Wow. Amazing meals, which I could hardly eat because my chemotherapy, but Mike enjoyed them. I gave you know? weight, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, people did really terrific practical things for us. You know, can we do your laundry? Hmm, that's tempting. You know, <laughs> can we drive your kids to ballet and which, soccer yeah, and all those things? Yeah. We're like, yes, you can. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, many moms in our town organized and took right. our girls to and from their after-school activities. So uh, just the support was unbelievable. And you can't yeah. help but being encouraged by that. Yes. And, I, you know, I go back to when... Um, we first met with Katie's oncologist at Sloan Kettering, Marty Hensley. And one of the things she told Katie was, um, Katie, don't look at the statistics. You're not a statistic. And I think that was very, and she said, you know, women do survive this disease. So she was very upbeat and optimistic and told Katie to stay away from the statistics. Now I wanted to see there them. Katie's go. sister wanted Being to see them. Being an obedient person. But, uh, That's why I didn't yeah. do it. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was, a. Uh, 
It was, we have such a love for our, our family and friends and, and our healthcare professionals at Sloan Kettering and Yale New Haven. Um, we're very close to them and we're very grateful that we have a chance to serve them now in the work we do. Right. And Mike had touched on this before and it, it did make a difference. We truly enjoy uh, the, the doctors who are, have been you know, part of my teams um, and that allowed us to really place our trust in them and to know, to feel that they genuinely cared about me as an individual, Mike as an individual. And, uh, you know, it's not unusual for me to go to one of my annual appointments and, you know, the first thing is a big hug and how are your kids? And I can't believe they're, you know, just as if we, mm-hmm. we well, because we, we have become friends. Mm-hmm. Right. So that has made a yeah. big difference for us. So a couple of things as you guys were sharing, Yes, I, I noticed, which is why I was like, you know, had my thinking face on um, because you guys felt such an overwhelming amount of love from other people and, and not just the emotional feeling of loved, but there was a lot of practical things that helped you yes. along the way of people doing things. That was also an encouragement mm-hmm. and made life easier. I... Dare I say that I'm sure that had a huge impact on mm-hmm. your ability to push through all the statistics and not become a number, but become right. a vector. Yes. Mm-hmm. And community can be extremely healing mm-hmm. or the lack thereof community can be completely destroying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Granted, you didn't make that community happen when you needed it. Mm-hmm. That was already in place. And so for people that might be going through a situation right now, it might be hard to just all of a sudden make that community. But in general, how does one go about participating in creating a community or a culture, not just for themselves, but just being a part of one, whether that's business or church or relationships, to create a community of culture by their own influence to to bring it together so there's inevitably a better culture wherever it's a job or church etc mm-hmm. yeah well, we have lots of ideas on that actually okay. All right. I, <laughs> you know you one start. is um you know starting with your community outside of work um you know getting in, involved in serving um whether it's well certainly serving in your faith community your church um, looking for ways to, our, our church also does a lot of serving at nonprofit organizations in the area, food pantries and um, groups that help incoming immigrants, et cetera. Um, so, and there's a real joy to serving. It, it's, I think, counterintuitive. We think it's going to be a grind to serve, but um, even psychologists recognize what they call helpers high, that when we do serve other people, it actually boosts our mood. It provides a a positive emotion that we experience that also helps calm our nervous system, makes us more resilient. So getting out and doing that um, is, you know, getting involved in Bible studies. I'm in a men's Bible study, just a shout out to my guys. We've been together for a long time. And, you know, our youngest is probably in his late twenties. Our oldest is in his eighties. And, you know, we'll have a dozen to 15 sometimes who show up and we'll meet from 9am till roughly noon on most Saturdays. And there's just a real love among the group, you know, getting involved in 
a Bible study is uh, or groups through your church is a great thing. Um, and then in, in the workplace, really being intentional about reaching out and connecting with people, getting to know them personally, you know, making eye contact, smiling. A lot of people were so engaged in our phones these days. And, and me too. I point the finger at me. I Sometimes Katie has to correct me to get me to put my phone down. It can be addictive. Um, but, you know, putting the phone down, putting it away when we're in conversation, certainly. And then, um, you know, as we're passing people in the hall, making eye contact, learning people's names, asking about uh, their interests outside of work, things like that, just being intentional. And you'll start to build, you know, looking for ways to encourage people um, really can make a difference. And over time, you start to build a community. And if you have trouble, then um, reaching out and letting people know what's going on in, in your life. And you'll find that people reach out and, and help you. And you have to be willing to let them help you, um, not try to do it you know, through self-help. But we, life is hard. We all have difficult things we go through. And there are times we, we really need people all the time. We need connection all the time. But especially through those hard times to get us through difficult seasons in life. So how... Oh, I was just going to say that it's um, to have the mindset of doing life together. Mm -hmm. I think you're when when you are willing to work, you know, side by side on something and get to know your colleague or your neighbor or the fellow volunteer, you know, as a as a person, uniquely designed and gifted and with experiences and a background that makes him or her really a truly unique and special person. Uh, when we're doing life together, when we, we begin to feel that, that trust and that maybe psychological safety to begin to open up and be vulnerable and talk about our own life experiences, maybe talk about our childhood or, or talk about something difficult that went through or also some, you know, the highs and lows of life. It's when we let people in and begin to have that, that trust um, that we, we build those deeper connections, those relationships, those friendships where we are there for one another. Right. Um, you know, when people are like, okay, so-and-so is sick. I'm making my beef stew. I'm coming. Or I'm just, you know, we, we jump in. Our inclination is to step forward to help that other person. Um, it would be so hard to go through an illness alone, to face cancer alone, the stress of just even the practical, how are you going to get to your appointments? How are you going to keep track of your medicine? How are you going to eat properly when you feel terrible? And all of that stress makes it tougher, tougher for your body to be doing the healing work that it needs to be doing. Uh, so... We absolutely I think we're designed to do life together. And Evan, if you have a way to do this, we'll, we'll make some resources available that just some very, we have a document called that we've been developing. We started developing it with the engineering section of the NASA Johnson Space Center, where we, we were doing uh, work for three years called 100 Ways to Connect. And we'll make that available to your listeners and perhaps as a way you could post that on your website. Yeah, we can. And it just provides a lot of practical ways to connect at home and in, in the workplace, especially. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, we can talk about that later. We can make that happen. So I've worked in 
many different environments before I became self-employed. I feel like the one thing I, I often struggled with is burnout. One, because I was doing things that weren't in my giftedness or design. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that can equal burnout. Mm-hmm. Also, burnout is not liking the environment or um, one of the things that I was notorious for was just saying yes to the next possible job mm-hmm. because I needed money mm-hmm. versus being strategic, mm-hmm. which ended poorly many times. Mm-hmm. How does a person go about avoiding burnout and protecting themselves when it comes to their career and livelihood? It's one of the, in our book, Connection Culture, we go through and talk about um, seven needs that need to be met in the work for people to really thrive and and give their best work. And let me just go through them briefly, because this is the type of culture you want to look for. And I would say just from a theological perspective, it's describing the kingdom of God, (laughs) the kingdom of heaven. And it's, um, it starts out with when you move into um, a team or a department, a new job, people don't know you, but at a minimum, you expect them to respect you. That's the first need. And if they're condescending or patronizing or putting you down in some way, it's, you have an emotional reaction that's negative to that. Um, if they are respectful and you're there for more time, then you ex- you're, have a reasonable expectation that um, they're going to show appreciation for the work you're doing. If um, it has to be genuine, it can't be saccharine as they say in the South, it has to be the real sugar. And when people um, show that appreciation for the good work you're doing, that also is a, a source of positive emotion that's affirming to you. And as you're there longer, you expect to develop friendships, people who you feel safe around who you can process difficult things that come up, you know, a safe confidant that you can speak with and uh, just be a a sounding board, someone, you know, who has your back. And so those are the first three needs. The next two needs are uh, what we call task mastery needs. You need autonomy or freedom to be able to do your work. If you're micromanaged or um, uh, you're subject to a lot of bureaucracy, it's hard to really thrive. You just feel kind of claustrophobic, like you really can't get, you don't have the control to get your work done. And so you need autonomy and that needs to be coupled with personal growth, which just means you're in a role that's a good fit with your strengths and you have the right degree of challenge. It's not over-challenging so you're stressed out or it's not under-challenging so that you're bored, but you're challenged enough that you experience what psychologists call flow, which is you, the, um, you feel a sense of connection to your work and the hours fly by. Mm-hmm. And so um, when that need is met, then um, the next need is meaning. That our, we see that our work is helping someone in some way. It's, it's making the world better in some way. And then along with that meaning, we need to see progress <laughs> toward that meaning. And those are the seven needs that um, really people, when those needs are met, people feel connected. They're you know, they're serving others, uh, they, they feel they're caring for others, and they're feeling cared for. And that's what God designed us for. Um, and it really is a reflection of, I believe, what the Bible calls the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. The, the seven are respect, recognition, belonging, autonomy, personal growth, meaning, 
and progress. And I think we can think about how, you know, how are we doing at respecting and recognizing our colleagues? How are we doing at helping that other person feel that he or she belongs? So even if you're not the supervisor or the leader, the manager, there's a lot that we can do to come alongside one another. You might be have a boss who is really difficult <laughs> for a variety of reasons, <laughs> but is there someone on your team who you can link arms with and uh, who, who or maybe is, just in your organization, if yeah, they're not on your team, just, right. you need a, you need, you need someone who's for you. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Who else appreciates the role that connection plays and not just passing. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Great. Good. How was the game? Oh, good. You know, but actual connection. Mm-hmm. That's so good. The reason why I smiled really big when you talked about difficult bosses or managers, that's one reason why I, why I had so many jobs before I started working for myself. You know, being bullied, coming from a background of struggling with suicide, when I got to be an adult, I don't want to say I was disrespectful by any means, but when I felt disrespected by a boss, when I felt... um someone doing something not right towards me, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I didn't let it go. I was so confrontive about it. And I'd be like, hey, you can't treat me this way. You can't talk to me this way. Like right. I, I'd put my foot down and I'd be like, hey, you know, put my finger like, we're not doing this. All right, great. You're fired. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean... W- Looking back, I don't want to work for people like that to begin with. Yeah. But how I don't want to I'm in a different stage now of life mm-hmm. and maturity and emotional response. Mm-hmm. But I have a neighbor who who just went through that and he just quit on the spot. And I'm like, dude, you got a family and mm-hmm. a kid on the way. Mm-hmm. Like, why'd you quit? I mean, granted, he got another job, but how how should a person go about that situation. Well, mm-hmm. that, that's, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because it's helpful to look at the three cultures we've identified. And we have, you know, data and research that really supports this. And, and also it's in the Bible. <laughs> and so let's just take a minute and, and talk about this, that the workplace you're in, the culture you're in, and this applies to homes too. Um, there's the culture of control. That's what you were describing, where someone who has power rules over the rest and it's not good for the rest. <laughs> and Um, You know, when you think, look at the Bible, it's the Pharisees did that. They, if you didn't conform to um, what they expected, you know, their legalistic views, then um, you were, you could be banished from the community. And the Romans did that as well, because if you didn't conform to the Roman laws, then they would either flog you, um, behead you, or crucify you. That's a culture. Those are cultures of control we're talking about. In the workplace, it could be a boss who just yells at you in front of the public and demeans you. And that's a way of trying to control you. The, so that's the first culture. The second culture, which we see growing today, is people are so busy they don't take time to connect. And it feels like a culture of indifference, where people are just indifferent to you. You show up, you work, you go home. There's no connection. People are just focused on too many tasks they have to get completed. They're overwhelmed. 
And um, that's not good for us either because when we have stress and we don't have connection, it, like we talked about earlier, it puts us in a state of stress response. And it's interesting to see that the research shows stress response, it, when we're in stress response, it affects our quality of sleep. It also makes it less likely that we have the willpower to exercise or to eat a healthy diet. And so, um, you know, this, we see connection as a systemic factor. It's really important. So it's no surprise that connection is such a big thing in the Bible because God made us for it. And the science total, completely supports that. So what would you do in that situation that uh, that boss who is being uh, condescending is being, is being difficult? You know, I feel for you because you are coming from a place of, you know, of heightened, you know, never again, I'm standing up for myself. So your reaction might have been, too much, too fast. Oh, absolutely. Uh, on the other mm-hmm. hand, that doesn't excuse the way that the boss was acting, you know, in a way, you know, how can you get to where you, you bring it down, both of you, and have, have a discussion, you know, can, the boss needs to know that's, that's not the best way to treat other people. And you're going to, you're not going to get a good reaction right. if you come at us this way the boss might need to know, Hey, I've had some experiences in my life. I'm going to react quickly. I, I'm working on that. This is why I took what you said so strongly. It's just a little insight into me and maybe with some understanding and compassion and empathy, the boss will be like, Oh, wow. You know, I, I I didn't realize that my tone of voice would set something off in you um, you know, so self-aware because what yes. I run into is most people aren't that self-aware. I well, know. And that, that's a good point because what we talked about it. earlier okay, is, is at play in that situation. You know, your, your brain is feeling yes. threatened. So your brain activity is going to the amygdala where you make rash decisions. So it's wise to just kind of dial it down, you know, maybe count to 10 silently Take it in and get away from that situation as fast as you can. And then find uh, someone you can talk to and think about what is a, what's a measured, what's an appropriate response to what happened. Don't try to do it in the moment because you're really at a big disadvantage just in terms of what's happening to you physiologically. Your heart's probably beating faster. Your lungs are taking in more air and your brain is not in a place that where you're going to make the best response. So you want to get out of there, find someone you can really process it with and think about how to respond. And there's just a much higher probability it'll end better and you can move in a constructive direction. Yeah. Yes. All of that said, Mm -hmm. there are going to be times when absolutely for your own safety, you need to no longer be in that environment. And it's the right thing to say no. Right. And, and step away. Yeah, if it becomes so, physical in some way, which thing it can, or right. you know, sexual abuse, which does happen in the workplace, mm-hmm. then yeah, you have to put your foot down. Yeah. And yeah. it's also helpful, we were just talking about this in our Bible study, that um, to realize that we're in a spiritual battle, and yes. that person who's attacking you has also, you know, chances are there's been even perhaps some abuse in their background. They have a need to dominate so that they don't have anyone who's dominating them. 
Yeah. And it's very threatening for them to feel dominated in any way. They just feel safe when they have the power. So, you know, we're all broken in different ways. And it's helpful to know that ultimately this is a spiritual battle we're in. Right. I, I think I shared this on a very similar podcast, but there was a moment I was working at a hardware store. I was helping a client that came in and long story short, I had a horn dog of a manager and I was helping her. She was a very attractive lady. She was probably 20 years older than me at the time, uh, but his age. And she was just going through a divorce and she just came in and spewed all this on me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how can I help you? And then she just, <laughs> yes. and, then, and then he comes over and I know what's going through his mind because he talks about stuff like this all the time. Mm-hmm. So he comes over, he's like, hey, Heaven, let me, let me take care of this one. You know, like I, I got, I got you. Like you, you can go, you know, he's trying to finagle his way in. And I look at him and I go, no, I got it. You're good. You know, cause I just shut it down. Cause he has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. It was appropriate. Nothing wrong with what I said, but later he was really mad. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he just unloaded on me, but I told him why it was not good for him to come in there. He mm-hmm. didn't care. He was going to write me up. It would be my third write up by him and the other write-ups were just lies as well and so this would be like my ticket out the door and what ended up happening i'd go home that day and i'd tell my wife and she's like well let's just pray and so we prayed that god would be my defender Hmm. and so i walk in to work the next day he's like hey evan come here i need to talk to you in my office which he doesn't have an office it was just like a side room (laughs) And I'm thinking like, oh, I'm fired. I don't even get a clock in today. Mm-hmm. And he pulls me aside. So the, the day before we were praying and my wife said, God, I just pray that you shake him. Mm-hmm. And he, when he pulled me aside, he goes, Evan, uh, I had a dream. And in this dream, nothing happened. It was dark, but it's like someone was talking to me. And it, it was like it was God. And he said, I need to stop treating me poorly or else something mm-hmm. bad's going to happen. And he apologized on the spot mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things got a lot better for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to his normal self and then I parted ways with the company. Mm-hmm. But there is a, you know, one thing I wish I did many more times before that moment was ask God to be my defender. Right. And I just, I just didn't. Um, I, I guess the next question I, you know, that, that you guys kind of, you said something that triggered a, hey, I should probably ask this, is how people respond to stress and how through that, our response in our life typically creates lack in other areas. So you're talking about like if, if you're stressed at work or if you're stressed, you know, because of it, you tend not to work out. You tend not to have good or healthy habits. What are some ways that let's say I have a stressful job or I don't like my work environment and it's not going to change overnight. How can I come home, decompress and still have a healthy life despite being in an unhealthy circumstance if you can't immediately move from your job? Well, start with connection because that calms your nervous system. It'll give you the energy that will help you um, eat a healthier diet. you know, get exercise, be active. 
So really connection is, uh, I would say, the place to start. Right. Oh, and he looks at me like, okay, I've got the next <laughs> thing to say. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we do this diagram with uh, in, in workshops sometimes. And you have probably seen Atlas, that Greek mythological figure who is bent over. He's got the spear on his shoulder, on his shoulders. We think it's the world, but it's evidently world, yeah. it's something else. But anyway, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he's, he's hunched over. And we ask people, what, what are you carrying on your shoulders? You know, what, what's, what's the weight on your shoulders? Now let's think about Atlas's legs. Let's call one connection. Let's call the other resilience. He, he needs strength to, to hold up, to hold himself up, to hold that ball up. And what's the connection you have in your life? Who are those people, family members, friends, people in the community? Who has your back? Who do you turn to? Who do you so enjoy being with? You know, who do you talk to for, you know, about anything and everything? Let's think about who those people are. Let's look at his other leg. How's your sleep? How's your diet? Do you ever get out in nature? Do you pray? Do you serve? You know, what are those resiliency factors? Now, how are all those things going? When was the last person, when was the last time you called up that college roommate who is such a great friend, but you haven't talked to in years? Or when was the last time you just, you know, let's look at all these different factors and see what can you, what have you been neglecting? What can you, boost? What can you strengthen so that you've got what it takes to hold up those, all those stressors? Now, the next thing would be like, can we fix any of those stressors? Um, but in the meantime, how can you uh, build up the, the strength in your, in your legs? Yeah, we use that Atlas diagram. And it's really helpful to get people thinking about, you know, what changes they can make in their life, who they can, how they can boost connection, how they can address some of those stress issues, how they can build greater resilience through, um, you know, making sure they get enough sleep. And, and by the way, um, a lack of connection also diminishes the quality of sleep. So um, that's why we really emphasize start with connection. It'll help you um, calm your nervous system. You'll get more energy from connection. And then also as you're processing your life situation with others, you'll be more likely to come up with practical solutions that are, are rational that will help you make progress against what you're experiencing. Okay. There's a lot there. I feel like That's, we haven't said it in a really articulate way. No, you have. No, well, no, you're no. going to be able to, you it, know, there's a lot to it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have Piece this together for people. My regarding work, and even talking about how we were just saying about how stress, connection, and when it comes to eating, sleeping, all these other things, one of the things I've noticed in my life is I want to be a high-performing person. I want the success. I want the accolades. I want everything that goes along with it. I don't get treated like a high-performer. I want to be a high performer. I get dissatisfied with my results, either because A, I have too high of an expectation mm. or there's a disconnect between what I'm doing and what it takes to be where I, I am imagining I want to be. 
So I guess my question goes, how do I discover like my main motivations for, for having a higher performance um, in my current job so that I just don't have job satisfaction, but I have satisfaction with my contribution? Because I think a lot of people struggle with their, mm-hmm. their contribution and not feeling satisfied because it's being demonized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I'm thinking about that respect, recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking for things. Um, this pops into my head, and I don't have the right details, but somebody else had told me this story. Um, a, a speaker was saying, you know, how I, I, I think we want that. I'm going to say instant gratification, but that's not really what I mean to say, but, but we want to be at a certain level fast, you know? (laughs) Um, And you look at some companies and that are huge and very successful right now. And you think, okay, it took them 15 years to get there. You know, they started with one store. Now they're in 11 countries, you know, but um, it's, it's a journey and a path. So how can we, say, Lord, here's where I, 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 I feel drawn to this. I think this is my calling, Lord, you know, confirm that or not. Help me to know, am I, keep me in your will. And then Lord, you know, give me your strength on the journey to get there. And, you know, may there be enough people along the way who are like, yes, keep going. Evan, you've got it. Great. Next step. You know, that, keep you marching forward. So I think if you expect next year to be top 1% of real estate agents everywhere, there you go. That's going to be tricky, you know, but, um, but knowing that you are taking those positive steps that are, that you are growing, that you are gaining skills, that you are gaining, gaining confidence. Um, you know, it's a journey. So I don't know if any of that was helpful. What were you thinking? Mike? Yeah, I think um, a couple thoughts come to mind. One is seek mentors who mm-hmm. are ahead of you mm-hmm. and who have perhaps some skills that you see that you want to develop. And you know, you're, you haven't, you know, those are areas that you need to develop. So seek mentors. Don't try to self-help your way to greatness. You know, our, one of our partners is, was a world-class um, Jason Pankaw, he's a pastor in Chicago and has a lot of wisdom and leadership. And Jason was also, he was a all American middle linebacker and captain of the Brown university football team and a world-class, um, discus thrower. And one of the things Jason said that really resonated with me, he said, you know, no one gets to world-class level without coaches. You know, it's just impossible. It, it never happens. You know, nobody reaches that level without, uh, you know, through self-help. And that's true, I think, in many aspects of our lives. We, we need others. And, of course, we need the great counselor, too. And so the other thought that came to mind is, you know, really, as much as you can, start each day with an open mind to say, okay, Lord, you know, what would you have me do today? I pray that you would open doors and, um, you know, I'll go through them. What, what do you want me to accomplish this day? And it's something... I learned from the former chief of the U.S. Navy, Vern Clark. He was the second longest serving chief of the Navy. And he, um, you know, I was telling, he was interested in, in my work. And um, I had dinner with Admiral Clark and his wife at the Navy Yard in D.C. And his advice to me was, you know, 
my pray for God to open doors and walk through the doors he opens. And every day when he went out of the house, he and his wife, Connie, would just stop and pray for that. And um, it's really been great advice. We are often surprised the doors that open. We're, you know, we're filming a course for LinkedIn now. LinkedIn Learning is going to be doing a course on our work. And it just, um, you know, it, it's amazing how God opens these doors. So, um, you know, prayer and, and seeking mentors, I think, can be some very practical ways to, um, to really help advance you along the path that God has. You know, God has a plan for each of us. Um, there's a church that we wrote a a case study on in, in London called Holy Trinity Brompton. It was in our first book, Fired mm -hmm. Up or Burned Out. No, I'm sorry. It was in the second book. No, it was in the first one. <laughs> and, uh, Not the second one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, their mission is, um, see if I can remember. Do you remember? It was, oh, uh, no. Sorry. I take that back. Huh? Mike was right. It's in the second one. It was yeah. in the first one. <laughs> A second one. Second one. Second one. Yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway, does I, not matter. I, 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 I figured it wasn't I important. Yeah. It was in the first one. We're working on a second edition of the book. Yeah. It doesn't have it because we're, we're, be we're using it in something else. Mission is to, it starts out with three words, um, or more than three words, to do our part. And I thought, you know, that, that's really great to be thinking. We're, we aren't trying to do everyone else's part. We're trying to do our part to build God's kingdom on earth. And um, that's ultimately, I think, what our prayer should be. God, what's, what's my part that you have in, in your plan? What do you want me to do today? And you look in the Bible, I think when we earnestly seek that through prayer, then God provides that guidance. Not always clear guidance, but over time. And um, so that's been helpful to me. And it's not to say that I do it every day. I wish I would do it every day, but many days I do. What question have I not asked you that I should have? Mm. And your answer to that. Yes, right. Gosh, and that's a tricky one, Evan, because there's so many different directions we could go. You know, I, I, you opened up and told something very personal. And, and so part of me in the beginning of this conversation thought, okay, well, maybe that's where, that's what this podcast is. And should it be, should it be talking about how to establish connection, how, how to reach out, how, what it's our responsibility to reach out to other people, um, but, or, or do you want us to be saying something about the workplace? Because we mm -hmm. haven't done, we haven't, mm -hmm. okay, Mike has an idea. Well, one thing that came to mind is, you know, we're seeing more and more people who are working on their own. And, you know, there's the whole gig economy and side hustles. And so I, I think one thing to be aware of if you're working on your own is you need to be very intentional about getting connection in your life. And, you know, so example, um, you know, this afternoon I'm meeting a friend for coffee because I, I know I need that. Um, I, I have my weekly Bible study, my men's Bible study on Saturday morning. So, and we work um, together but we, and we have partners in other cities, um, but we don't have a huge office. So um, oftentimes we are kind of working on our own. And so we have to be really intentional. God made us for connection. And um, just if you're working on your own and you're listening to this podcast, make sure you get out there, have lunch with friends, get involved in your community. You really need to be intentional about connection because 
um, disconnection really undermines your your health, your well being. It, it affects us spiritually. It makes us vulnerable to sin, and um, we just have to be super intentional about it. And more and more people, it's an issue these days. As more and more people are working on their own. Okay, I like to land the conversation, the episode with the same three questions. Now, you both can answer them. You can take turns. One of you answer, the other one doesn't, however you want, okay? What's the biggest lie in self-talk you have had or currently struggle with? Self-talk? Mm -hmm. You mean the little voice that chats in our heads that's oh. saying something unhelpful? Correct. What's the biggest lie? Hmm. Well, for, for me, and I think that's why that first chapter I talked about in my life was failure is not an option, is that, um, you know, the biggest lie is that um, God doesn't love me unless I get things done <laughs> and, you know, kind of build my status and worth through the world's perspective. And yet I know that's not, intellectually, I know that's not true, but sometimes emotionally I can feel that way. It doesn't mean that, you know, um, so... Anyway, that, I would say that's it for me. And I need to just be constantly reminded of God's love. What's so funny about what you're saying, like you're absolutely true. God doesn't put an emphasis of his love on our fail, failures or that failure in general, you know, in this, our society, that failure is not an option. We hear these stories of war, like we cannot fail. In life, in business, failure is the most probable outcome specifically in business that we'll have. And I think what it comes down to, because I know I've struggled with that too, is how to embrace failure as a learning step and not a end all. I don't know. So my, my second question, I guess, is what brings you guys peace? Well, I can definitely, say, I can tell Katie's not going to jump on that one. So I was trying to be polite. And thank you, answer. thank you. I know you gave trying me a moment. Sensitive. Okay, excellent. Oh, well, it's definitely, um, for, for me, it's, it's connection with Katie, um, you know, my, my um, time with the, with the Lord, prayer and in, in the word. And definitely every week I come back from my Bible study telling Katie, this is the best Bible study I've ever been in. It does. And, I love my uh, men's Bible yeah. study. Okay, how it's many just, men are saying that out there? Some, sometimes I my go case. in uh, tired and by the end of the time, you know, we just spent three hours together and it's mm -hmm. so energizing being together. So um, it really, and it calms my nerves. Sometimes I go in anxious about the things that I didn't get done that week. Mm -hmm. um, but it really, it really calms me and puts me in a much, much better spiritual and emotional state. So um, it's, it's the connection that really makes a difference for me. Yeah. And I would add for me, it's, um, I will often say, God's in charge. <laughs> you know, you're in control, Lord. And just reminding myself of that truth um, puts me in a better place. Yeah. What's the best decision you guys have ever made? Okay, we have to say choosing one another, getting married, Definitely. right? Right. <laughs> Praying for Katie. Okay, no, but before, <laughs> before, before yeah. that, uh -huh. I think individually it would have to be making that mm -hmm. that decision to surrender uh, our our lives and follow the follow the lordship of 
of Jesus. Um, in a way, you know, not just, it's not just a mental ascent. It's not head knowledge, but allow it to be heart knowledge and to be a, a lifelong journey together of uh, becoming Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's an ongoing decision, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. it's, I, I find, oh, I, you know, I screwed that up. I just got too focused on tasks and results and I, I, I blew the opportunity to connect. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, a journey of going deeper and deeper and continuing to, you know, make mistakes and ask for forgiveness and um, just staying on that path as crooked as it may be, but moving in the right direction, Lord willing, you know, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So, mm-hmm. Guys, thank you so much for coming on today. The wisdom that you guys have in your lives, the experience and putting it down in writing and even creating a business that has helped so many people. Uh, truly, truly an honor to have you guys on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you, Evan. Thank you, Evan. And thanks for just your courage to um, share your personal story. And that's rare these days. So um, I think it's a great thing. And it's you, your podcast, you you really do connect with people. I, I sense that in the episodes I've listened to. And so it's a great thing you're doing. Thank you very much. I, I do greatly appreciate that. I, I'm just trying to be authentically me and not, not anyone else. So, well, we'll talk to you guys soon and you guys have a great day. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Evan. Bye, Evan. Bye. When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example, that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago, and he was the first coach I've ever had, and he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're gonna get in a spot where you're gonna be able to give back to others And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now, that it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me that at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people, I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm gonna make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm gonna offer a free 15 minute coaching phone call to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15 minute phone call, I have the prices right up front, I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show.